0: Hi, it's Len Testa, and this is our second Disney Dish for August 2015. Today we're answering a question from a listener about the history of Disney's walk-around characters. Jim covers everything from the creepiest white rabbit costume you've ever seen seriously, check the show notes for photos, to what's up with Baymax, Periwinkle, and new characters from Disney's upcoming Zootopia movie. It's a great topic. While I've got you on the phone, here's this. Jim's over at Disney's D23 Expo right now getting all the latest on what's going to happen with Avatar at Animal Kingdom, Shanghai Disney, Pixar plays at Disney's Hollywood Studios, and maybe a thing or two about Star Wars. We're recording live episodes every morning of D23, and you can find those over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Okay, that's it for me. Thanks very much for listening to our little show, and we will see you soon. Welcome back to another edition of the unofficial guide Disney Dish podcast with Jim Hill. It is I, Len Testa, and this is our second August show for 2015. I'd like to jump right into that because we have an exciting topic for you guys today. I'd like to bring in one, Mr.
1: Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? I'm doing great, Len. As soon as I finish doing this, I get on a plane and go to the D23 Expo. We're actually going to try to do some live shows from, or live quick updates. Is that the plan, or...? That, that's
0: going to be, yeah. For, for our Bandcamp listeners, we're going to try and do uh, daily updates about what's going on at, uh, at D23. I know you've got some advanced information that we're not allowed to share yet. I am super excited about that. It's very interesting stuff to talk about, and we'll uh, soon. Right? When does it start? A couple yeah. days.
1: Yeah, actually, press preview tomorrow night, and on Friday they kick open the doors. True. So. Sure, True sure or false? They will actually have you in a costume during the event. Well, you know, <laughs> it, it's interesting you bring this up because I was just talking with a veteran <laughs> Disney publicist who, who since left the company, and shared this amazing story about. The first D23 Expo, and I guess they were three or four months out from opening it. And I swear to God, I'll, I will send you the email to to validate this so you can actually see the name of who who shared this info. But they had made a decision three or four months out from the opening of that D23 Expo that I was not going to be allowed in that they- <laughs> That okay. they were going to distribute my photograph so that security would have it so that, at, you know, the people at the doors of each panel, I was not going to be allowed into this thing. And this one publicist, you know, kind of pleaded my case and it was one of these things like, no, no, come on, you know, Jim, Jim could be a good advocate if we let him into the building. And so I it just, it was one of these things where it's like, you're packing for D23 Expo 4, hearing about D23 Expo 1, what? going, Wow. Okay. Didn't know that. You know, persona non grata. But uh, this is close to being beaten with rubber hoses. Did Yeah. So no, yeah. I mean, you know, that's the thing. I I could have, in fact, ended up in a character costume and thrown into a dumpster. I mean, in fact, that may have been the only way <laughs> yeah. I would have made it into the building is if I dressed as a character. It's like Oh, uh, the things we would have
0: we, we would have had to have done because you know what? Once you know that, it just becomes yeah. a challenge, right? Yeah. Well, no,
1: that's it exactly. <laughs> you know, just saying. I I would assume after a while, it's like you know that that dopey. Over there is taking a lot of notes. Go over, take a look at him. He's, he looks suspicious. <laughs> he's so. he's loitering by the buffet a little long. It's got to be Hill. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so.
0: All right, speaking of characters, today's topic comes to us from our listener, Julia Pear, who says, This is awesome about the podcast. Thanks for doing this. Would you ever do a podcast about the stuff that goes behind the scenes at the park, specifically about characters, rules for characters, and crazy stuff that's happened? That's the inspiration for today's show. So, Jim, I know we, we've talked a little bit previously about how characters came to be introduced in the Disneyland park and how originally Disney didn't even make their own costumes for that. But, but how has it evolved since then? What's the story?
1: Well, you know, just to just back up the truck a little bit beyond that. I mean, there have been official Disney character costumes since as far back as 1937. In fact, if you go look at the premiere footage for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, there's Shirley Temple right on the red carpet, arm in arm, with a, a pretty good-looking grumpy and a, and a, a good-looking happy. I mean, so they were putting effort in early, early on. But these were only for special events, for premieres. They were limited time use. There was virtually no consideration given to the performers inside in regard to sight lines or weight of material. You know, just the idea was like, you know, all right, get in the grumpy costume, get outside and wave. Come on, damn okay. it. Clark Gable's outside. Go, you go. Know. <laughs> and in fact, in one of the more notorious versions of this, have I ever told you about the Pinocchio premiere in New York? No, I don't think so. Oh, God. Okay. It's late fall in New York. The theater has a marquee, but it's cold. So what they decided to do is they're going to hire... A whole bunch of I guess midgets is the term that was used then, you know, height challenge individuals. I'm not sure the the politically correct Small term. term. Yeah. Small people. There we go. Okay. So he are a bunch of they stand at Pinocchio's costume and Dance, you know, in the costume on the marquee and wave to the crowds below. And you they're, know, hi- they're hiring a bunch of New Yorkers to stand above a crowd and wave. What could possibly go wrong with this? Well, it gets cold. And, and again, there's like three, four, five of them keep climbing out of the office window just behind the marquee and coming out and doing their 10 or 15 minutes dancing in the marquee. And somebody eventually passes them up a basket, which has some booze in it. And they proceed to... Get liquored up, and now suddenly there's five drunken Pinocchios up on the rooftop, dancing, singing, playing dice, sort of flipping on <laughs> <playing> <laughs> dice.
0: You know, I, and you no, know, I miss the, I miss this part of New York. Julia came in and cleaned everything up, and I kind of missed this about New York. <laughs> At
1: one point, the police get called, and so they have to climb up to the marquee. And you know, again, they've got naked small people with Pinocchio hats on who you know who are drunk and out of control. So they have to carry them down off the roof in blankets. Now, the, the weird thing is, I, I'd always heard this story. It seemed like an urban legend until somebody actually showed me a photograph of the, the little people actually up on the roof of the marquee and then to, to, to put the cherry on the Sunday my old high school English teacher, Paul Henning, read the story that I wrote about this, got a hold of me. It turns out his father was a police captain in New York at this time, and this was his Thanksgiving story about, did I ever tell you about the time I climbed up in the theater marquee and pulled down naked Pinocchios? There's, so, there, I found a photo online. Yes, it's true. Oh, God. Well, so, anyway, what,
0: what would TMZ pay for this video today? I don't know. I
1: do not know, but, <laughs> but anyway, all right, so like Lynn said, we've discussed the character costumes at the parks at length in early show about, you know, for example there were no character costumes when Disneyland opened. You know, they got five, six, eight weeks out from the opening and realized, wow, we need characters. And there was no money to make them, so Roy reaches out to Shipstads and Johnson, which had bought the rights to use the characters in their arena show five years or so earlier, and it was like, hey, we'll be on our West Coast leg of our tour. We could come down for the day with the costumes if you want." It's like, God, that would be so great. Thank you. Yes. All right, so and, but that also explains why those outfits are so terrible, because again, Again, they're designed for people who are skating around a darkened ice arena with a spotlight in their face. So they have these huge holes in the masks for people to be able to see out. More importantly, the legs
0: are, are built mm-hmm. for ice skater flexibility, so they're essentially mm-hmm. tights, right? They're no, not, 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 not character-appropriate exactly. legs. Okay.
1: So obviously, in that situation, it was never about, and it wasn't crucial that they looked like the character did in the movie or the TV shows. And today, that's really not the case. I mean, for example, the Baymax, that character costume just came out of the parks after almost a nine-month run just recently. This is a character costume which was used to help support the launch of Walt Disney Animation Studios most recent production, and if you actually Google the world premiere of Big Hero 6, which mm-hmm. was held back in October last year, appropriately enough, at the Tokyo International Film Festival, you can see Baymax walking the red carpet right along with John Lasseter and, and his wife, Nancy. And I think that's another thing people need to understand, is that because these characters, the, the most recent generation of characters, when they come into the park, they're thought of part of the promotion of these new, you know, the Pixar films, the Walt Disney and, uh, Animation Studio films, even the Walt Disney home premiere projects. And so they're kicking in money. They help with the design. They provide the parks with early model sheets and maquettes, CG files. They want them to have a good sense of what the character looks like for the finished product. And then you get into kind of an interesting situation because think about it, when the characters in a movie, mm-hmm. they make dozens upon dozens of faces. They wear, you know, sometimes many different costumes and you now have to decide what version of this character best represents you know, the character's true nature or more importantly, which face will people best respond to if they see the character in the park. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so you've got to figure out which expression. Also, you have to think about will kids and that's, a th- face it, this is something that people going to the Disney park You know, they take their kids to see the characters. And think about, again, Lotso, the villain, uh, spoiler alert, villain from uh, Toy Story 3. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you had this big, smelled-like-a-strawberry-hugs-a-lot bear. But, you know, you didn't want kids who were in line to get his autograph to be frightened of him. So rather than have sort of the mean brow and the frown, they they sent him into the park with kind of a happy face. And, and it's interesting, they've begun to circle around to the classic characters as well to do this. I mean, I don't know if you remember how Captain Hook used to be in the parks. I mean, he's he's been in the parks since 61, and he, so he's a yeah. villain, they like Lotso. Yeah, but again, he had this big, sort of a beetled brow and a long chin and kind of a sneer. And about five or six years ago, a decision was made to uh, do plastic surgery. I mean, plastic head, plastic it's surgery. Time. It's fine. But he, now he has a smile. And, you know, I mean, a kind of a mean smile, but it's a smile. And, and the notion is that if. Because they will often pair Peter Pan with Captain Hook for a photo op or meet and greet, they wanted to be sure that kids would actually go up to him. So they did the surgery or they changed out the character's look. And what's really funny is that if you actually, again, to go back into Disney history, that Walt knew that having the characters in the park was important and kept trying. I mean, you know, once the opening of Disneyland was done, the ship said outfits went back to the D, the Touring Ice show, and mm-hmm. it was a very trial and error hit and miss kind of a thing. In fact, if you Google the Ounce in Wonderland dark ride opening in June of 1958, there's a picture of the opening where there's a white rabbit in this shot that, that looks like he walked straight out of Donnie Darko. You know, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> Now I've got to find this photo. The white rabbit is really scary and very off-model. And so Walt realized it was important. These things had to be on So he reaches out to Bill Justice. Who oh, is, yeah. Who, who, who. Yes. Right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I'm not
0: going to sleep well tonight, Jim. I I've, I've found the, uh, wow, that's a wrap. That's right. Would you like to come down the
1: hall? It's like, no, 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 no. I'll be over here. Like the rabbit lives in the van down by the river. <laughs> there you go. Thank, okay. you. Thank you, Chris Farley. <laughs> so anyway, so he reaches out to Bill Justice, who's the an animator, a teacher of animation. He just wandered over to Imagineering and said, look, Bill, this is your job. You know, you're going to be the guy who figures out how to do the characters to the park. And and Walt I really believes strongly in this. I'm quoting from Bill's memoir right now from 1992 that there was this meeting where one theme park manager said that character costumes really aren't that important topic to be Discussed, and Wald quickly sets this guy straight. He said, "Look." Don't forget the importance of our characters. Other parks have thrill rides, bands, and trains. We're the ones that have the Disney characters. And so Walt believes so strongly in this. He puts $2 billion into the project that Bill is spearheading, which is to create 28 Disney characters' costumes that are on model that will go into the Disney theme parks for the summer of 61. And you want to know what those 28 characters were? Uh, Sure, go ahead. Okay, so we start with the obvious, Mickey and Minnie. Uh, We then do Goofy Donald Pluto. That gets us up to five. Then the Three Little Pigs and the Big Bad Wolf. Uh, that gets us to nine. Then Snow White and all seven dwarfs, up to 17 now. Then it's Alice of Alice in Wonderland, the Mad Hatter. We obviously have to address that white rabbit. Then we have Tweedledum and Tweedledee, and, and then kind of an odd choice. They go with the walrus from The Walrus and the Carpenter. So, but that puts us to 22. Okay. Then Chippendale, 24, Peter Pan and as we mentioned early, Captain Hook, that's 26, and the last two were Pinocchio and Geppetto. Just to, to kind of put this in perspective again, quoting from from Bill's memoir. Back then, an original character costume for the parks mm-hmm. cost 10 to 12,000 dollars to make, and then it took 6 months to design and develop the costume. So, but once the once the original was built, wow. the cost of fabricating a duplicate went way down. It's at 3,000 dollars So it's the first, it's the initial design. Yeah. A, okay, right, right. yeah. But now contrast that with what it costs to bring a new character into the parks today. Alright, take for example when Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment decided as part of its promotional efforts for the August 2012 release of Secret of the Wings, which was one of those home premieres that supported the Disney company's uh, or the Disney Fairies franchise. They decided they wanted to bring Perry Winkle who was this brand new character who was supposed to be uh, Tinkerbell's sister into the park okay now just the wig that the cast member was wearing when they were playing periwinkle she had kind of this distinctive hairstyle mm-hmm. cost ten thousand dollars was right. it was
0: it made of actual fairy hair i mean is that I, well
1: it was again she's kind of an albino like blonde and and very Her. she lives in this the world of ice and snow so had to look vague I mean again, if you google periwinkle you'll see it it's a pretty distinctive hairstyle, but here's the thing because they needed multiple wigs per park because two or three performers would be playing periwinkle every day I mean yeah you don't want to share wigs that's just chris that's exactly so the operational rule was and still is. Four wigs available at any one time. So there was one out on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one backstage that was being cleaned and prepped for tomorrow. There was one that was being prepped for the performer that was going to sp- – or being warned by the performer who was going to spot the performer who was on stage. Because remember, the way Disney does this is you have 20 minutes on stage, and then Tink has to go back, and then another Tink comes out. And then there's one held back for disasters, you know, when the kid – you know, I want to touch your hair with my chocolate hand. I have to stress here. I'm using the the wrong language. The euphemism. If you're a cast member who works for the zoo crew, that's what they call the people who work the zoo crew, the character department. Uh, You're supposed to. You're not supposed to say I play Mickey Mouse. You're supposed to say I'm a friend of Mickey. Right. You're friends with. The the interesting thing is, back in the '60s when this got started, they couldn't even say that. If they asked you and you were working at the park and what you did, you had to say you were a pageant helper. Pageant helper. Which. You know, if you think about it, it actually makes sense, because, you know, 90% of the time, when people saw these characters, they were in the three o'clock parade going through the park. So it's like, yeah, you're a pageant helper. You're, You're in the parade. So it's like, okay, cool. Jumping back to today. Say you want to be a friend of Mickey. What you do is you actually go to the official Disney Auditions website. And this is where you find out where the auditions are happening. In fact, a week from this Friday, August 21st in Toronto, they're actually holding auditions for what they now call Disney character lookalikes these are the face characters oh. and the interesting thing is that you know, not everybody can do this you have to be a certain height you know take for example if you want to play Captain Jack Sparrow or Indiana Jones or Aladdin Prince Charming Prince Philip the Mad Hatter Peter Pan There are height limits set for these characters. The smaller characters can only be five foot even to five seven. And if you're playing a particularly heroic character like Indiana Jones, it's five nine to six feet. And that's it. You know, you can't be shorter or you can't be taller. It's even that much more restrictive if you're looking to play a female character. For example, if you want to play Jasmine or Alice or Wendy, Tinkerbell, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Those characters actually start at four foot eleven, and then if you're going to play somebody like Pocahontas, you can be five seven, and that's it. You know? Really,
0: Pocahontas is 5'7", so they've got height ranges. I guess that yeah. makes sense, though, because they build one costume to the right size, and if they have to accommodate frames, let's say from four foot eleven to six foot tall, that's several different costumes. I mean, at that point, Pocahontas goes from wearing a floor-length dress to a micro mini skirt, so. Yeah, you know, they want to
1: make sure that they have the right costume there. One of the things they stress here for the, the character auditions is that you have to have strong movement ability. And in some roles, you have to have strong acting ability. Now, speaking of acting ability, all of you have probably seen it went viral within the last three months or so. There were two videos that were taken at New Fantasyland of Gaston. One was of a little girl basically sassing Gaston because you're the villain, you're never gonna get Belle, and, and Gaston was just having none of it. And then this exact same performer a week or so later appeared in a viral video where a, a guest challenged him to a push-up contest and guess on one-handily. I mean, just knocked them out. The downside of this is that Disney management, in spite of the fact that so many people enjoyed this video and really, you know, like, wow, that's how I want my guest on to be. They actually took this cast member out of the park because, in one case, he broke a cardinal rule, and in another th- case, he created an operational issue. The cardinal rule he broke, and this was when he was doing the push-ups, is that he almost got his character costume on the ground, which would then get it dirty, and then, you know, again, create an unnecessary backstage issue that they'd have to run right. him back as Gaston. Has to look a certain way, and if his, his tunic gets dirty, we got to swap that out, and that makes it that much more difficult to get him out on stage again. The, the more interesting issue, and and ultimately why they the key reason they broke him out of the park is that what was happening was that people were now going to New fantasy land looking for this Gaston, and when another cast member would walk out to play Gaston, they'd go up to that Gaston and say. Hey, when is the other guest on? Oh jeez, really? Was the other guy gonna be here? When you're playing a character, you're playing that character. You are guest on. What yeah. do you mean the there other is, guest There on? is no other guest on, right? That's tough. That's tough. And and you feel bad because he was very personable. He really he did a great job with guest if mm-hmm. you watch the videos, he's great fun. And you know, you kind of wish that Disney could allow him to stay on to do that. But all right, anyway, mm-hmm. continuing with today's you know, if you're doing a character today. Say you actually get hired to play Periwinkle. The interesting thing is once you land this gig and and they let you know you're going to be playing this set of characters, Mm -hmm. you are then, as a cast member uh, working in the character department, given a password to a dedicated secret website. (sighs) that then gives you all of the information you need to know to properly pay your character. This site has an extensive bio listed for each face character in the park. It tells you who the character knows, who their friends are, the villains from that particular movie, the world that this character lives in, so you have all that info. More importantly, and this is what's kind of intriguing, this website then tells that Disney cast member who's about to start playing this character Mm -hmm. who their character doesn't know.
0: Oh, right, uh, because they maintain the integrity of the movie. You know these people, you don't
1: know these people. That's it, exactly. I mean, for example, with Periwinkle, because she came out of the Disney Fairies' home premiere series, she doesn't actually know the characters that are featured in the Disney Fairy book series. Seriously, there's, there's evidently this multi-paragraph thing that these are the characters you know if they ask you about these characters, you're supposed to say, I, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about, and but politely deflect the question. And again, where this gets really weird is if you're a Disney Fairies character, mm-hmm. just because Periwinkle is a fairy doesn't mean she knows flora fauna or meriwether the good fairies from sleeping beauty or for that matter the blue fairy from pinocchio or the fairy godmother from cinderella that that she knows her disney fairies friends nobody else so, again, don't go play stump the chumps with the poor Disney church.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, you know. and they have to keep it all straight. let's they do. Does Disney ever put uh, those fairies that don't know each other together? I guess not.
1: It's weird. For the 50th anniversary parade of Disneyland, in fact, if you, if you take a look at the lead off float, it is. In fact, it's Tinkerbell riding on the top of what looks like the Disneyland train and walking in front of her in the parade is flora fauna merriweather and the blue fairy you know that they are leading off that all here are all disney's fairies together leading off the parade but but they don't know each other they just show up randomly and hey we're in a parade together and i have no idea who those blue pink and green women are over there because disney does this a little bit with the closing of phantasmic with the end scene of phantasmic
0: yep. where you've, you've got people you've got characters that don't know each other Mm -hmm. and completely separate movies, like Pocahontas and Captain Hook next to each other on the riverboat, and Mm -hmm. that's a little strange.
1: It is, it is. The folks in entertainment are just like, look, just give us our characters. They just put them out there. Though at the same time, they are the first to bitch to the character design people about the way they build the Donald Duck costume, where the legs for Donald start at where the performer's knees are, which (laughs) makes it hard for Donald to dance. Donald really can't join a kick line because you need an entire leg to do that. Oh, that's funny. One of the reasons I keep mentioning Periwinkle is Periwinkle's actually out of the theme parks now. Really? When you see the new characters in the park, that's because the studio, or in the case of Periwinkle Home Entertainment, helped underwrite the cost of those characters appearing in the parks and. You know, once the movie that a particular character is in has gone through its entire life, and we're talking release to theaters, release Blu-ray, DVD, that sort of thing, the money dries up and you will actually see characters leave the park. I mean, for example, when's the last time you saw Abby Mallard? or Chicken Little. That was 2005. I paid valid American currency to see that movie. Uh, I know, I know. The only reason uh, this rule changes if you have a giant smash hit. I mean, Frozen, for example. Yeah. 2013 Disney uh, Studios released. It was such an enormous hit, and pr- more to the point, proved to be such a draw in the park. Mm-hmm. That when the support money from Disney Studios and home entertainment dried up, Parks and Resorts was like, no problem. Hey, we got this. And not only did they keep Anna and Elsa going in the parks, but they then turned around in 2014 and created two additional character costumes for the park. You had the, that new walk around version of Olaf, uh, which I think debuted for the, when they changed out Cinderella's holiday wish to the, the frozen, a Transforming the Castle show. That's uh, coming back this year, by the way. Yeah, I heard that. And then you got the face character version of Kristoff, which was introduced at the Frozen Summer Fun event last year at Disney Hollywood Studios and proved to be a huge hit. I mean, watch the video where the first time Kristoff appears in the Frozen parade and the cat calls from women lying yeah. in the street. <laughs> <Amazing>. <laughs> Woo! Getting back to Hero and Baybacks now. Given that Big Hero 6 has pretty much run its course at this point, a pretty lucrative course, by the way mm-hmm. this Don Hall Chris Williams movie made 222 million domestically, 429 million overseas for total worldwide gross of 652 million. Home entertainment front, it was Disney's top selling Blu ray for this year. Really- uh, yeah, to be fair, there you got to remember that. Inside Out and Marvel's Age of Ultron are going to be in store sales shortly, so. Okay. But they sold 2.4 million Blu-rays and 1.9 million DVDs, so that for an additional total of over $75 million. So it was profitable for the company. But on the parks and resorts <laughs> side of the equation, mm-hmm. Big Hero 6 was kind of a pain in the ass, largely because of what it took to operate the Baymax costume. Because now we live in this age where they have to be on model. They have to look like the characters. Yeah, Baymax is a, huge, is a huge inflatable suit. That's it, exactly. Now, add to this that the arms aren't practical. They just dangle. All right. That's why you don't see Baymax shaking anybody's hand. You have a performer inside of the suit with his arms down by his side, which means that if Baymax ever falls over, he can't get up. The handler and hero have to haul him back up. Coupled with that, and in fact, if you ever watch any of the YouTube videos of Baymax interacting with kids, you have to understand that Baymax, the guy in the suit, can't see anything. That's why Hero was always so talkative. He's literally Baymax's eyes. So he's like, hey, look, Baymax, we've got two new friends coming to visit us. Hey, blue boy and a little girl, they're walking up to you now. Why don't you say hello? 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock. There you go, there you go. Okay, now that you understand from an operational point of view, this is why Parks and Resorts were really very happy to say bye-bye to Baymax and Hero and are kind of hoping that all of the talk about Big Hero 6-2 isn't going to happen. On the other hand, They are just thrilled about the character costumes that are coming for Nick Wilde and Judy Hopps. These are the two central characters of Zootopia. Mm -hmm. By the way, they're going to make their debut, these character costumes. You'll see them for the first time in the Disney Parks Christmas Day Parade Special that runs on ABC. When's uh, it come out? Uh actually comes out March fourth of two thousand sixteen. So they you'll actually see them start appearing in the park doing meet and greets in ahead late January. Of time. They've done this previously. They you know they, you put the characters in a cart, you roll them to it, hey, here are the stars of Disney's upcoming, you know, Zootopia. They will start appearing in the parks in late January, early February, a couple of weeks ahead. Disney does this all the time. I mean if you go into the Disney store, the rule of thumb is, six to eight weeks before a film comes out, the merch is on the shelves. In fact, that's one of the ways I got my Bing Bong. Trust me, I was in the Times Square Disney store a week to ten days ago. I made the mistake, or Nancy and I made the mistake, of we got a Bing Bong from my two nieces. You know, we took them to see Inside Out, and we thought, it's our favorite character, we'll give them to. They have fought over this plush... <laughs> ever since they got it, and you know. And so we had to secure a second one, and we were in the Times Square Disney store, yeah. and I said, hey, do you have any more big bongs? And the woman laughed at me. It was <laughs> like, ha, ha, ha. Roof. You know, it's like those <laughs> <Roof>. have been, <laughs> Not from around here, are you, son? <laughs> you know, it's like those have been gone for weeks. We actually had to order it directly from the Disney store online, and it, even then it took them three weeks to find one. But anyway, that was the, the issue, that they will put the plush and the toys out six a week weeks before the movie comes out, and so people will come in and go, oh, those look interesting, I will buy those, or they saw the, the trailer, that sort of thing, and they want to get in early, and then there'll be typically three waves of merch They'll be one right after the movie comes out, and then there'll be a third wave that hits right uh, when the DVD and Blu-ray comes out. Again, Disney's got this down to pretty much an exact science at this point. So hopefully, Julia, that answers your question. Thanks for reaching out. I guess this would be as good a time as any is that we're going to try to do something like this more often on, on Bandcamp. We're actually looking to do a show that will be dedicated just to uh, questions that folks send in. So that will be kicking off in September. So if you folks want to send in some more questions like Julia did, then we'd be happy to build a show around those as well. That's right. For those uh, Bandcamp uh,
0: episodes, go mm-hmm. over to uh, DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com and uh, you'll be able to listen to shows that are new and exclusive to uh, to Bandcamp as well. Cool. That's great, Jim. Thanks for this very interesting episode. Good luck at uh, D23. If you need help tunneling in into the convention center, let me know. We'll go from there. That's right. Look for the dopey taking notes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You've been listening to the unofficial Guide to Disney Dish podcast with Jim Hill. Please go on to iTunes and Stitcher and rate our show. And please, please, please tell us what you would like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show. Take care.